0: Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. This morning, we're going to finish our series, our message series, on the Lord's Prayer. And we've been looking at the different petitions that the Lord teaches his disciples how to pray. And this morning we come to the final petition in the Lord's Prayer. And it's often the most complex and puzzling, but it's, it's critical that we understand this petition from the Lord himself as his disciples ask uh, him, Lord, teach us to pray. And so we're going to be in Matthew 6.13, but we'll kind of be jumping around a little bit. And the petition is this. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's the most puzzling of the Lord's Prayer. The most puzzling of petitions. And why is that difficult? It's difficult for a number of different reasons, but mainly for this reason, for this question. Why ask God to do what is not in the character of God to do? Would the God we meet in Jesus ever intentionally lead us into temptation? The answer there is no. But if the answer is no, then why should we even bother praying, lead us not into temptation? And so that's what we're going to look at this morning And it's important here to to, uh, recognize right off of the bat that most translations or common readings or recitings of the Lord's Prayer will say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I think it's important here to acknowledge how Jesus really meant it. The definite article there in the Greek, in the scripture, personifies that we have an enemy out there who seeks to kill us, to steal from us, to destroy us. And Jesus is acknowledging that by placing a definite article on that, deliver us from the evil one. He's not just saying, deliver us from evil, teaching us to pray, deliver us from evil. He's teaching us to pray, deliver us from the evil one. It's important to acknowledge throughout the course of this message that there is another team on the field. How many of you know that there's another team on the field? That there is an enemy of your soul who wants to attack you, accuse you, bring you down, loot you, make you poor, make you depressed, all of these things. He's out to separate you from the good and loving Father. And so Jesus prays, deliver us from the evil one. Of course, we know the answer to that earlier question. James tells us in chapter 1, verse 13, that when we're tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So we're going to get at these two kind of words, temptation and trial, and pick those apart and see where we can find Jesus in the middle of it. Does that sound good? So first, temptation. The Greek word for temptation that is used here in the Scripture and throughout the New Testament is parismos. parasmos. Parasmos, perasmos, means a couple of different things, and it's not really helpful for our case this morning. Because it means both, to test, and it also means temptation. To test, you know, or, or a trial in our life is, is brought about to prove character, to grow our faith. A temptation is something that's introduced in our life to entice us to sin. So they're, they're two very different meanings. So which is it? Which is it? A parasmos is a difficult or challenging situation in life which can either be a test proving a person's character, character or a temptation enticing a person into the way of sin. So to discern which it is, we need to discern the who, who is behind the perasmos, and how we respond. That means everything. Who's behind it, and how will we respond? And that little clause in between the two phrases of how Jesus teaches his disciples to pray is significant for us this morning. There's two phrases up there in the verse. And lead us not into temptation, there's one. Deliver us from the evil one, there's two. That little word, but, is super, super important because the word, but, here, in the context of what Jesus is saying, interprets the second phrase. It sort of acts as an interruption to the first phrase and interprets the second one. But deliver us, interprets lead us not. You see? So what is the interpretation? Well, it's this. The evil one seeks to turn our tests or our trials into temptations. The enemy's tricks are nothing new. He pulls the same stuff every single time. He did it with Jesus in the wilderness, and he did it way back in the garden with Adam and Eve. And so if he did it then don't you know that he's going to try it with us today? He doesn't have any new tricks up his sleeve. It's the same old game with that one. So a great way to pray this petition in the Lord's Prayer when you are experiencing a perasmos, when you are in the middle of a test, in the middle of a trial, is this. Father, you know we cannot stand up under much pressure. As you lead us through the test, and all of life is a test, as you seek to prove and grow our faith, do not let this test become a temptation, a seduction to sin, but deliver us from the subtle wiles of the deceiver against whom we are no match. Father, rescue us from the evil one. And that's the whole thrust of this morning, that Jesus is our rescuer. God is our salvation. God delivers us when we're experiencing the onslaught of the enemy. How many of you are familiar with the Netflix show Stranger Things? We've had a couple of different Stranger Things analogies through the course of this message series, if you've been paying attention. And this analogy comes from the second season, and those of you who have seen it will remember, but there's a character in the show, Dustin, and he's like a preteen, and he's a real science guy, and he loves uh, he loves experiments and this kind of thing. And in this, in this show, he takes uh, he finds a strange little creature in a trash can. Do you guys remember that? Those of you you guys have seen it. He finds a strange little creature in a, in a trash can and he takes it home as a cute little pet. It looks like a lizard, it's around about that big or so. But it's obvious to those who are watching, Dustin has made a terrible mistake. The creature, Dart, which he's affectionately called it, is actually a baby monster. And it begins to grow into something that's terrible and uncontrollable. He can't even keep it in the aquarium anymore. It's busted loose. I think it ate his cat. Did it eat his cat? Yeah, I think it ate his cat. And Dart, you know, he started off cute, but once he was fed, he grew into the monster he was created to be. So Dustin later realizes that he should have destroyed Dart way back when he had the chance. But instead he let it grow. And temptation is the same way. It might start off as a cute little pet, this cute little desire, but if we feed it by participating in it and going through with something that we know is wrong, it's going to grow into sin. And once it grows and develops into sin, it can become uncontrollable. It can actually get out of control to destroy reputations, relationships, and even lives. And so temptation's a slippery slope, isn't it? And so we, we need to figure out what the difference is between temptation and trial if we're going to see the fingerprints of God in our lives. You see, the trial here that Jesus is talking about, the lead us, is permissive in the grammatical sense. And the idea here is that Jesus is uh, teaching us to pray Father, do not allow us to be led into trial since testing is unavoidable in life. We don't want to be carried into or caught up in the trial so much as to crumble under its pressure. This is a prayer for ability to stand up. How many times do we hear Paul, the Apostle Paul, encouraging us in the New Testament to stand firm? We're pressed on all sides, but stand firm on the foundation of Jesus. So why test? Why a test? Kind of picked apart the word temptation. What about trial? Why test? Life. (laughs) Hey, life. If you are breathing and you have a heartbeat, you have experienced a parasmos before. Jesus said it. He said, in this world... You will have trouble. You will have trial. There will be suffering. You will have trial. But take heart. Take courage. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. So it's not a question of if we face trials or tests in our life. It's more of a question of when. When we face trials and tests in our life, how do we respond to those tests and those trials? Have you ever been in a parasmos before? (laughs) Maybe you're going through one right now. Maybe you're in a test right now that's demanding something of you that is not yet. Say, I don't know where I'm going to find the strength to meet this trial, to meet this test. Well, there's many different kinds of trials. They're as unique as people on the face of the earth. I think we just crossed 8 billion, didn't we? I heard on the news that we just crossed 8 billion people on the planet. And trials are as numerous as the people that walk the face of the earth. But I wanted to take a couple general trials that we all face just to kind of acknowledge that we face trials, that we're all in the same boat here. That these are trials common to men and women if you have a heartbeat. And the first one is a trial or a test or a paresmos of compassion. Of compassion. Do you find yourself often in situations where there's a choice between simply going through the motions or showing your love for God by loving others? Maybe you have a difficult person in your life, someone who's very needy of you, now, you guys wouldn't have anybody like that in your lives, would you? Nobody, nobody needy of your time, of your money, of your affection? No, you wouldn't know anything about that, would you? <laughs> we all have these, what my friend Mike likes to call EGRs, Extra Grace Required people in our lives. And so when we find ourselves with folks like that in our lives, it's helpful for me to, one, understand that this is a test. This is a trial from God to expand my heart and the compassion that I don't have yet God wants to put in my heart. And another helpful tidbit here, and those of you who have heard me teach quite a few times will be familiar with this one, is the flip side of that coin is if you have one of those EGRs in your life, it's very, very, very helpful to remember that you are someone else's compassion test. Did you know that? Did you know that there is someone right now In Cleveland, in the United States, around the world, there is someone right now who says, oh, no, do I have to spend, Thanksgiving is coming up, and I have to sit at a table with these guys. You and I, I say, me? Never. What could be be annoying about my personality, Sarah? Nothing. (laughs) Right? But I am someone else's difficult person to love. And when we get our hearts around that and our heads around that, it helps expand our lives to offer compassion to others. And the test really is from Jesus, hey, I've loved you, Eben, with an everlasting love. I showed it at the cross by dying for you. And I want you to model that kind of love for the person who's difficult because you were once my enemy, but I brought you near. Can you model the same thing to that person you find difficult? The second test is one of courage. We're all faced with tests or trials of courage in our lives. At different points in our lives, we will be brought to a crossroads and courage will be required of us. Does it seem like you're always in situations where you have to do the hard thing? The hard thing is called the hard thing for a reason because it ain't the easy thing. I know that sounds kind of simplistic and juvenile, but it's true. The hard thing's the hard thing for a reason. Maybe there are many places in your life where you feel the pull towards fear, You know, God loves to prove his sons and daughters courageous. Did you know that the encouragement, fear not or do not be afraid, is mentioned 365 times in the scriptures. That's one time for each day that you feel afraid. Isn't that kind of the father? And shows his intention that he loves to prove his sons and daughters courageous. So often when life presents us with a test to take courage, whatever it might be, whether it's the fear of loneliness or rejection or abandonment or failure or getting hurt, all of these are tests and they're designed to grow our faith and to trust God, to not be afraid, to not lean into the fear, but choose to do the hard thing and lean into the bravery of Jesus. The last common test that I wanted to acknowledge, among many, is the one of integrity. Tests of integrity are many and plentiful, especially when you're in your 20s. I don't know about you guys, and I don't have all the answers. I'm far from it. But in my 20s, it just felt like it was a series of time that God just kept on bringing me back. Oh, We didn't learn that one. Let's go back. Didn't learn it again. Let's go back. Back, back, back to move forward. This test of integrity is myriad and it will happen countless times to all of us. And the question here is, do we allow God access to every part of our lives to work his presence into our decision making, our relationship with our spouse, our kids, uh, our co-workers at our workplace, to display integrity, to show the world That Jesus really does make a difference in our lives. It really does matter that we follow Jesus. James talks about these tests, all of these paresmos. And the overall aim, James says, is to produce perseverance. When our faith is tested, remember when, not if, when our faith is tested, we can take comfort We can take comfort knowing that our Father desires for us more than we desire for us to produce perseverance in our life. He loves to see that displayed in our lives because it proves the goodness of His character. When you display the fruit of perseverance in your life, you will move through the toughest situations in your life. And those around you who don't yet know Jesus will marvel at the goodness of God not at how good you are. You know, we're, we're so caught in like the falsely humble thing. They're not looking at you when, when you're standing up under pressure. They're, they know it's not you, it's God. He's working in your life. He's giving you a peace that passes all understanding. And they will marvel. If they don't know Jesus yet, they will see you walking through all kinds of trial and say, how do they do that? How is that possible? And you'll be able to say, God's producing the fruit of perseverance in my life. It's him who's working in me. It's him who's moving in me. It's him who's giving me strength. Him who's giving me wisdom. It's Jesus. These tests in our lives, whatever the test is, whether it's dealing with the chronic illness of a loved one, financial difficulties, friction in our relationship with our kids or at our workplace, they're all designed, get this you guys, all of these trials are designed to refine us. That trial that you're experiencing right now is not meant for your ruin, it's meant for your refinement. Let me say that that one one more time. That thing And you know what it is, whatever it is. That thing right now, that trial that you're having trouble standing up underneath of, that's taking everything within you, that thing is not designed for your ruin. It's designed for your refinement. In Proverbs 17, we read this. This is the gold, no pun intended. The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold. But the Lord tests the heart. Does the Lord tempt us? No. Does he put us through trials? Yes. He will test the hearts of men and women. The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. The very situation intended by our Father for good, the evil one seeks to turn to bad. He seeks to turn the test Into a temptation. And what the writer of Proverbs is saying here is that when you, the same word, parasmos, get this, you guys, the same word is used in smithing, like um, it's used in the refinement process of actual gold and silver. So when a goldsmith comes to a a hunk of unrefined gold and he he heats it up, right? It's it's heated up through fire. You ever feel like the heat's being turned on, turned up in your life? The heat is used to to melt the gold down and then the, the impurities come to the surface and they'll be sifted out so that gold is refined and pure and worth so much more than it was before. That's the heart of the Father as you experience trial, as I experience tests in my life, that though the enemy wants to seek to turn this thing into a temptation, I know that God is refining me, working on my life to bring about goodness for him. Trials are not meant for your ruin, they're meant for your refinement. Okay, so we went through a couple of trials, general trials. I wanted to focus briefly before we close up here on five different strategies that the evil one seeks to get us to doubt the goodness of God at every turn. What are his strategies? Like we said before, it's nothing new. He's been doing the same thing since the dawn of creation. Since the fall of men and women, the enemy is trying the same old things. And so it's helpful to know... Right? If you're in a battle, wouldn't it be helpful to know what the enemy is up to before they do it? Because then, when you know what the enemy is going to do, you can be ready. You can be where you need to be. You can prepare your heart. And so, these five strategies are common of the enemy. He wants to sow seeds of suspicion in our lives. And we see this from the get. In Genesis 3, uh, the serpent comes to the woman. And says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God God really say that you're not allowed to eat from any tree in the garden? Here's the lie. And here's where the enemy starts to sow seeds of suspicion in Eve's mind and in her life. God did not say you must not eat from any tree in the garden. He said you may eat from any tree in the garden. Except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the enemy twists it, and by twisting it just a little bit, he's turning Eve's test into a temptation. Did he really say? You know, he starts with sowing seeds of suspicion. And then he focuses on the negative, and he gets you to focus on the negative, and me to focus on the negative. And the big example of this is when Jesus is in the wilderness, and he's going, you know, one-on-one with the devil in the wilderness. And the devil's trying to knock Jesus off of his throne, off of his vision, off of his mission, and he does this by trying to focus on the negative. The tempter came to him in Matthew 4, 3, and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. You see it there to focus on the negative? Jesus, you're all alone. You're in the desert. All you have are stones. Stones, stones, stones. You ever hear that voice in your head when you're going through a trial? That voice that's... Trying to get you to lean into the negative aspects or experience of that trial that you're facing in your life. Stones, stones, stones. You're going to need to turn those things into bread. Because all you have is stones. It's a focus on the negative. And once he does that, this is a hinge point. Because then he's got you. Because after he gets you to focus on the negative, then he makes us make deductions from that negative. He says in Matthew 4, 3 to Jesus, if you are the Son of God. He focuses on Jesus' identity. You really are the Son of God. So because you're the Son of God, you could take all of these stones and you could turn them into bread. You can do that right now. Why don't you just do that? Make that deduction in your mind. Make that leap in your life. And what he's really trying to do is the fourth strategy, which is to force the Father's hand. In Psalm 91, David writes that he'll give his angels charge concerning you. The enemy always suggests that we can get God to prove his love for us. And he quotes the scripture back to Jesus. And he says, prove yourself. You don't have to wait for the Father. You don't have to do that. You prove yourself. You can get God to prove his love for you. Just have God send his angels down and rescue you out of this. You say, I don't know. This is a foreign temptation. I don't don't know anything about forcing the Father's hand. Let's take a minute and focus on the word manipulation, shall we? How many of you know that the scriptures say that when you try to Um, force anyone, not God, but fellow men and women. When you try to force someone else's hand, do you know what you're doing? You're you're trying to leverage to get them to, when you try to get someone else to prove their love for you, you're putting yourself in the place of God. And that's why manipulation is wicked. The scriptures call manipulation witchcraft. It's as witchcraft. Because you're putting yourself in this powerful spiritual position in other people's lives to get something for you. It's something that every believer should have nothing to do with. Not Not even a hint of manipulation. Why would you want to control someone else? Why would you want to force their hand if you didn't think that you were God. So once he's got you there, then he'll tempt to try to take things into your own hand. To take things into your own hand. And in the temptation of Jesus, we see as the enemy says, all of these kingdoms of the world, Jesus, all of these kingdoms of the world, they've all been given to me. Lie. I'll give them all to you. you can, can't you just hear like the, the commercial going in your head? You can have all of this for the low cost of, uh, you know. All of this can be yours, Jesus, if you bow down and you worship me, the enemy says. If you just bow down and worship, you can have all of this. And really what the enemy is saying is that you can have... Because Jesus knows the whole earth, the heavens and the earth, belong to him anyway. Does he not? He knows all things. And he knows that the, heaven, the heavens and the earth belong to him. It's his right as the Son of God. Every heart belongs to Jesus in the end. But what the enemy is trying to do here... In that situation, is saying you can have all of it without suffering or going to the cross. You can have it, and you can have it without going on the cross. But Jesus knew that it took sacrifice, it took his blood to bring back rightful ownership into the kingdom of God. And so he wouldn't do it. And it all hinges on the cross. Even death is a lie. All of these ways that the enemy tries to strategize, to bring you and I down, to, to, um, to divide us, to separate us from God, to bring ruin into our lives. It all hinges at the cross. And the one thing that I felt God's heart for this morning is to remember, when we're going through a trial, that things aren't as they seem. Things aren't always as they seem. It may be hard right now. The reality that you're experiencing a trial, that you're going through adversity is an indicator that you're moving in the right direction. Adversity isn't meant for your ruin. It's actually a backdoor to Jesus' presence. You find Jesus amidst the trial, and that's an indicator that you're headed in the right direction. Think about it this way. If the enemy didn't know that he was doomed, if Satan himself thought that he had won, Would there be any trial in our life at all? He's concerned with you because you're dangerous, because you belong to Jesus. You were meant for relationship with God. And so any adversity in your life is an indicator that you're headed the right way. Be encouraged, James says, when you face trials. You're going the right way. We used to have a song that we would sing if we got lost on the GPS in the car and the kids and Sarah and I would sing it. we say, we're going the wrong way. We're going the, we gotta turn right. We're going the right way. And we would always sing, we're going the right way. And how many of you know that I remember that song every time I'm moving through adversity? I'm going the right way. I'm going the right way. You know, the fact that there's struggle in your life is pointing towards the end of knowing and loving Jesus. And it all hinges on the cross... Paul tells us no matter how many promises that God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. We're hard pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. Hey, we might be confused a little bit. We might be perplexed, but we're not in despair. Hey, you might be persecuted at your workplace by those who hate God, but you're not abandoned. God is with you. Hey, you You might be struck down you might be wounded in these areas you might be beaten up but you're not destroyed there's promise on your life and they're all yes and amen and Jesus and in all this in first Peter you greatly rejoice though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith get it Of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. That's the good news that God is refining you even more pure than gold, so that when Jesus is revealed, you will praise and give him glory and give him honor. That's the gospel. The good news is that Jesus is the deliverer. God is eternally good. He's for you and he's with you for all, forever and ever and ever. Amen. That's the good news. That Jesus, at a certain point in time, broke through the veil to lead a sinless life in every way like you and I, but without sin. said no to the enemy's temptations, and went to the cross to forgive your and my sin, past, present, and future. To buy back out of the camp of the enemy sons and daughters who would by their lives prove that Jesus Is the deliverer. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Savior. And so we just want to offer that today. We just want to offer life. Maybe you came in for the child dedication, Um, you're not a big fan of church. Hey, I'm in the same boat with you. But I sure love Jesus. And because I love Jesus, I love the church. Because the church is his bride. And he's coming back for his bride. He's coming back. He's coming back to consummate the kingdom in its fullness. When finally the devil will be dealt with once and for all. The devil's already dealt with. It's done. It's a done deal. But we wait. And as we wait, we have the opportunity to invite Jesus into our lives and to experience a closeness of relationship with the creator of the universe. And you can have that today. And if you don't have that, I want to invite you in, as I believe Jesus is already inviting you. He's saying, come, come come closer, come into relationship with me today. Give God the opportunity to be who he says he is, to rescue you, to deliver you, to save you. It's not wrong of you to ask that of God. God comes. In fact, that's the way that we get in. The way that we get in is by being weak, by not being able to handle the pressure I can't do this on my own. God, would you help me? Would you save me? Will you forgive my sins and come pull me out of the pit? Rescue me? Because I can't do it on my own. That's grace. And he'll do it. God will come and rescue you. If you want a relationship with Jesus, he'll come do it. Right now. Right here. He'll come save you. Does that mean all of your problems are going to magically disappear? Nope. The last 30 minutes have proven that. You will have trials. Doesn't mean poof, all your trials will be gone. But it means that you have the witness of God. Any day through trial with God is better than a million without Him. And you can have Him beating in your chest. His heart, His life, leading you and guiding you. God with you.